You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42Cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about DC's Aquaman movie. So, one of the very few good things about COVID-19 is that it's allowing me to catch up with my movie reviews. Uh, with no new movies coming out, it allows me to go down and get all the ones that we have banked up in the archive, we'll get those all released, and I think movies are going to start being released again fairly soon. I think we'll get things like Black Widow and Wonder Woman 84 before too long. Uh, but potentially, I could get caught all the way up to the present, and that would be really exciting. So, <laughs> you guys don't know how much this means to me. But uh, yeah, this Aquaman one, it's a really exciting one. Um, got some really good commentary on it, so uh, I hope you enjoy it. And yeah, I mean, otherwise things for me, they're going pretty well. Podcast is going really well. Um, Really no complaints right now. Beth and I still haven't started watching a new series yet, although we're excited that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is back. We've enjoyed the first episode of that. Um, I don't think there's much more to say here, so I'll just segue into the podcast already in progress do that let's meet our cast for this week so first up um you know him as the guy that you love to hate and that is my buddy ryan guthrie how are you doing ryan uh you know i am doing pretty fantastic 2019 has been rough so far but i'm held on to my optimism so so i look forward to what's coming well that's good i mean how how (laughs) bad how bad could it have been in just nine days ryan well, on uh, I guess technically this is 2018 kicking me when I'm down. Oh, but on, okay. on New Year's Eve, uh, I sprained my ankle so bad that I couldn't fit my foot into a shoe. So I was, you know, limping around trying to do things. It was probably funny for other people. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would have laughed at someone else. But, you know. Oh, man. So um, how are you feeling now? Uh, you know, um, it only hurts when I walk, put weight on it, or lift things. Otherwise, it's good. <laughs> so pretty much everything. <laughs> nah, it's, it's, it's getting there, you know. Uh, um, uh, they wanted me to wear a boot, but that was expensive. So, you know, I, I manned it. I, I toughed up and I manned out and I only cried publicly like six times. So I, I feel good. Mm. Okay. <laughs> well, that's good to hear at least. Um, <laughs> have anything good at all that's gone on in the last few weeks? Um, yes, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, no, I mean... Uh, nothing, nothing worthy of note? Well, you know, if nothing else being... Uh, I ended up being out of work for five days, and that did allow me to catch up on a lot of TV. 
So there is that, you know? Excellent, excellent. I don't suppose by any chance you finally started watching The Gifted. That's, no, I have not. <laughs> but I did, I did watch, uh, and I'm going through my hat in if we you ever do a podcast on this one uh the chilling adventures of sabrina i binged okay. that one in like two days that was pretty good okay. um, and a few others all right well cool deal and it's good to have you back on the podcast ryan good to be back all right and uh next up uh you know him as one of the directors of the american sci-fi classics track and that is my friend and yours gary mitchell how are you doing gary i hate ryan <laughs> uh, i'm okay i'm okay everyone does gary so it's okay i know i just had to throw that out there okay. <laughs> make sure it's official right right but the thing is you love to hate him that's that's the fun part that's the uh, the, the sick and twisted sadomasochistic aspect of this of our right. relationship <laughs> love me hate me you're still thinking about me <laughs> that's true and this isn't that kind of podcast so i'm gonna leave that there <laughs> Uh, but yeah, life is life is good. I have moved. I'm in a new uh, uh, renting a room in a house with some geeky people and going. Oh God, stairs! <laughs> I hate stairs. No, I yeah, I I used to have to climb some stairs and I don't anymore. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what's been going on for you, Gary? It's it's been several months since you've been on the podcast. So. Uh... Um, how are, th how, yeah, I mean, anything, uh, good going on? Um, anything good going on? Well, the move is pretty much done. Uh, my room is set up. All the stuff that needs to be in the storage unit is in the storage unit. Uh, I have an X-Bone now. Uh, so I've fin just this week finished, uh, GTA 5. Yes, I am one of those gamers. I am way behind the curve. The hottest games of six years ago. <laughs> That's okay. I'm playing the hottest games of like 25 years ago, Gary, so it's okay. <laughs> well, you know, continuing that theme, I just started Diablo 3, so... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so it's it. Th that's actually the fun thing of picking up an Xbox One now, besides mm -hmm. the fact that they're cheap, is all the games that I really want to play now have been out like three, four years. So I'm picking them up used at GameStop for like fifteen bucks. I'm like, ah, score. That was the that was the beauty because I started collecting NES and SNES games like heavily mm -hmm. during the sweet spot between when nobody really wanted them. They weren't the current systems, but before they became like a collector's item and vintage kind of thing and people are scalping them on on ebay oh yeah and so i've been able to like i i have hundreds of nes games now because i got them all for like five bucks you know mm -hmm. like i got so many games for just five bucks because that's what people were selling them for so it was uh you know it's it's really cool when you can do that yeah it is it's fun to get good stuff for a good price mm-hmm <laughs> But once I finish uh, faffing about in Diablo 3 for a while, I'll probably go back to Mass Effect 3. This is, well, Mass Effect 2. This is the other big thing is I I never got to finish Mass Effect 3 when it came out uh, because I did my I had to put my I didn't have a TV to hook my Xbox up to, and I've managed to stay spoiler free on that game for like six years now. <laughs> That's impressive. So I started playing it finally. And I get about halfway through, and I realize that a decision I made somewhere in the middle of the second game completely ruins something I want to do in the third game. <laughs> and the only reason I messed up is I was in a rush. I replayed two before I played three just to get my 
my uh, connection back with the game. Mm-hmm. So I kind of did things in a hurry and yeah, okay, whatever. I just want to, and forgot that, you know, save system carries over from game to game. So it's like, oh crap. So I've got to go back to two <laughs> and undo <laughs> the mistake I made. <laughs> it's like, okay, here's another 40 hours of gameplay again. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm going to enjoy it. Mass Effect right. 2 is probably one of the best video games ever made but still it's like i want to finish three (laughs) (laughs) gotta get to the end (laughs) for the love of god oh well i mean at least at least it's not like something where like you know you uh you know you can't you can't fix it so Uh, or i don't have to go all the way back to mass effect one (laughs) right yeah just play through everything all over again gary it's fine So, uh, so well, that's good, and it is good to have you back on the show, Gary. It's good to be here. And finally, uh, you have not heard her in a while, but she is someone that contributes to the Earth Station One network with lots of movie reviews. She loves Star Wars, and that is my friend Ashley Pauls. How are you doing, Ashley? Good. Thank you for having me back. Ah, not not a problem. You are always welcome on the show. Well, I always am looking for excuses to talk about geek stuff. So anytime I can do that is awesome. All right, happy to oblige. Um, so uh, what's been going on for you, Ashley, in the year? I think since you've been on the show. Yeah, gosh. Um, oh no, actually, you were on the Arrow podcast, so it's been more like uh ten or uh, nine, eight or nine months. It all kind of goes by in a blur sometimes. Right. Like it just feels like 2018 was just starting, and oh, now it's have to get used to writing 2019 on stuff instead but yeah it's been good um finally got through there's a lot of movies in december that i was wanting to see so finally got a chance to go to the theater and watch all of those and write reviews and a little bit of a lull here not a lot in january february but it'll be summer blockbuster season before we know it so feels like there's always always something going on in geekdom Oh yeah, and I mean this this summer and the summer season now starts in March. But this Yeah, season... it feels like it just keeps backing up earlier and earlier and then with Black Panther coming out around Valentine's Day last year, it feels like it just keeps creeping up earlier and earlier. Yeah, but this summer is going to be super jam packed. Um, with yes. so much stuff. So, yeah, it's going to be crazy pretty much from March through August, especially with Fox delaying the uh, the uh, mutant movies that they have um, into this summer. So that means it's not only all the Marvel and DC stuff, which had been planned for a long time. Now there's uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix and um, New Mutants in this summer as well. So it's going to be kind of like clogged up with... Uh, with uh, just comic book movies alone, let alone every anything else coming out this summer. Oh gosh, that's right. I've already kind of like bid goodbye to my entertainment budget for the summer. Right. It's like, well, we're going to be spending it at the theater. So, right. so um, I know that you uh, did an article on. Um, uh, the Air Station One Facebook page, or on the website, and, and linked it to the Facebook page uh, about your favorite movies from 2018. But uh, for yes. everyone listening who did not read your article or doesn't know about it, uh, could you give us some of your highlights for uh, the year? Oh yes, absolutely. So my number one movie of the year was a little bit of a surprise. It wasn't on my most anticipated list, but I ended up liking the best was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And I will plug that one any chance I could get. The animation was phenomenal. The story was great. Just, I know we've seen Spider-Man's origin story a bazillion times by this point, but I just absolutely loved everything about that movie, so would highly recommend it. Um, Of course, Infinity War shows up on that list. Um, Another one I'm plugging is Bumblebee. That was uh, another movie I was not expecting to love after all the 
other Transformers movies and kind of what they are. And I feel like that's enough to say about that. But <laughs> I'm surprised you went to see Bumblebee because for me, a trans, I saw the first one in the theaters. And since then, it's been like, yeah, that's a Netflix rental. Um, yeah, it was yeah. someone um, whose opinion about movies I trust was raving about it. And then so I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. So even if you feel really burned by the Transformers movies, I encourage people to see Bumblebee. But I can totally understand why it's not doing as well at the box office as it could have, because I think people have just kind of written off the franchise by this point. But it's it's worth one more chance. Mm, okay. Yeah, I know. I mean, I've heard quite a few people speaking positively of it. So um, it's still going to be a Netflix watch for me just because it's hard for me to get to the theater. But uh, I'm at least going to be anticipating it a bit more. It might rise a little bit higher on my queue. Yes, it's it's worth it's worth watching and has a completely different feel from the others. It feels like you're watching a totally new franchise, which many fans would probably say would be a good thing. Right, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, like Transformers Last Night, which was the previous one, it was on the bottom of my, whatever year that was, 2017 queue. <laughs> it's like, yep. this is the last movie I'm going to watch that came from 2017, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't even see that one, so. All right, so, yeah, anything else uh, going on for you? Um, that's about it. Just looking forward to some cons coming up in the next year and lots of great geek stuff. All right. Very cool. And it's great to have you back on the show, Ashley. Oh, oh thank you. Yeah, no problem. All right. So as um, those of you listening uh, probably know, and those of you who are recording with me know, uh, next up is our five-minute controversy. So uh, this week, because there isn't anything that I'm seeing right now uh, on Facebook that seems to be uh, really um, you know, uh, uh, causing a lot of stir, I wanted to go back to something um, that's been kind of rumored, and I think we all know it's probably going to happen, which is that, um, you know, DC's talking about recasting Batman, uh, that Ben Affleck is out as the character. Um, so if we take that as red, who would you like as the next Batman? Um, so um, I realized that I should have probably let you guys know this one ahead of time to give you a little more time to think, but hey, this is fun. So first thoughts. All right. So Gary, <laughs> I've got my answer. Gary. Yeah. Yeah. I want Michael Keaton and Batman Beyond. Okay, fair enough. Well, who would you have as Terry then? Um, Ezra Miller. Okay, <laughs> that might <laughs> cause a little confusion, else. but okay, it's fair. Not enough. really. Is, is that hey. movie ever happening? So. You know. Well, yeah, it's the other. It's DC. Um, all right. Um, or or okay. Tom Holland. Okay. <laughs> That would be fun, actually, for him to play Batman and Spider-Man. But yeah, I love the idea of Michael Keaton playing cranky old Bruce. I, I will not give any arguments on that one ever. Now, if you want, like, a young, modern Batman? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a harder question. Because, yeah, I mean, we know the Batman, the movie that they're doing, is going to be like a Batman year one kind of story. So it's going to be a younger Batman, but not like a teenager, most likely. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm asking about. Ryan, what, what is your opinion on the whole Batman thing? As nerds, I think we've all had this discussion, even with only, if, if only with ourselves um, at just about any given time. And if you did any sort of uh, 
nerd activity on New Year's Eve with other nerds, the conversation probably came up. I know I had this conversation with other nerds that night, and uh, this time I'm doing it sober, so there's that. Um, but I would see, kind of like Gary, it, it kind of depends, right? Because like, if they were going to keep the the older Ben Affleck type Batman that they have in the current DCEU, I'm still rooting for someone like John Hamm. I still think he needs a break, and, and he could do great uh, in it. Um, for a younger uh, Batman, Bruce Wayne, um, I kind of feel like an unknown would be the best way to go. But if, if like, I had to attach a name, I'd either go for uh, – strange as this may sound, I think his name is um, – uh, is it Nicholas Holt? Is he the guy who played Beast in the X-Men movies? Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Or even – and you may hate me for saying this, uh, the guy who did uh, the new Solo. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, he might be great as Batman. I just wasn't yeah. feeling him as Han. <laughs> he felt like he was cosplaying and not actually portraying the character. But that's a. Whereas Donald Glover, on the other hand, was amazing. But that's that's, <laughs> that's a discussion for a whole yes. other. That's a whole other yeah. podcast uh, entirely. But. Um, so, Ashley, do you have any opinions on this subject? So, of course, unfortunately, the minute you asked my asked the question, my mind went completely blank, <laughs> and I can't even think of the names of any actors. Um, the only name that popped into my head that was semi-viable, perhaps, was Michael Fassbender. I don't know. He okay. might be an interesting uh-huh. take on the character, but... Yeah, I, I kind of like that. I think he could bring... He's He does, of course, have that intensity mm-hmm. and kind of a darkness to some of the characters he's played in the past, so... I, I would be interested in seeing him take a crack at it. Um, John Hamm, I think, is a good suggestion. I would be happy with that, too. Just if they end up casting someone new, I would like it to be kind of a, a surprise, like somebody you wouldn't necessarily expect, but who could turn around and do a really good job with the role. So sure. we'll be interested to see what happens there. Yeah, I mean, it's impossible for us, obviously, if it's an unknown actor, to say, like, this, because he's an unknown actor. So, so I mean, obviously, we have to go for people who, you know, uh, are actually known for, for discussions like this. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's a Fassbender's an interesting choice. I, I like that just because, yeah, I mean, a lot of the same things that makes him cool as Magneto could make him cool as Batman because he does have that intensity, he has that darkness, he has that, you know, sort of repressed anger, you know, that he can, you know, have come to the fore, you know, when he needs to. So uh, I, I think that that's an interesting one. Yeah, it's got to be somebody who can do that, the... Sort of believable, goofy playboy side of Bruce, yeah. his mask, and then the I'm uh, I'm a broody jerk. I like the <laughs> real. Inside. I like the real Catwoman. I said the real cat. You know, just like yeah, yeah. <laughs> perfection. <laughs> okay, so my pick, and this might surprise some people, but. Um, uh, and he's not uh, known as a movie actor. He's actually on television, or at least everything I've seen him in is on television. And that is Jeffrey Donovan, who played Michael Weston on Burn Notice. Um, I think that he is phenomenal. I think he could do a side of Bruce that doesn't, that hasn't really been portrayed well in the movies, which is the master of disguise aspect which he honed on burn notice over seven years and the whole idea of he can just take on another personality and another character and just like be embody that. And I would love to see like Batman actually being like a true detective 
in you know one of his movies um that is the that is the big thing they keep not doing with batman that they have that they should do is that he is a detective right i I, you know nathan i would only accept that if bruce campbell got to be alfred okay (laughs) (laughs) or commissioner gordon yeah yeah actually i like uh i like bruce campbell as commissioner gordon (laughs) I, i think that that would be really cool but um, but yeah no I mean Don I mean it doesn't have to be a burn notice I mean my friend and I joke like you know like having the voiceovers of when you're a costume vigilante make sure to bring <laughs> duct tape you know <laughs> just like yeah. it's a burn notice episode but you know I, it doesn't have to be that I just say I, I think he personally as an actor could do the role um, he doesn't have the physicality necessarily that you think of with Batman he's, he's kind of a thin guy but so was Christian Bale and he ended up being a phenomenal, you know, Batman. So um, I, I think that he could do it. So um, yeah, that's my pick for it. You know, he, he gets uh, a lot of grief for it, but and I know people have floated the name uh, of Jake Gyllenhaal or Gyllenhaal mm. around for it. And I, I, I'm one of the few people who enjoyed Prince of Persia. And I, I don't know. I thought he, granted, that movie was what ten or so years ago, but I thought like physically, and he, I thought he could do it. You know, so I wouldn't rule him out. The other one that comes to my mind that would be an interesting and kind of keeping you, you suggested the guy from Solo, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Oscar Isaac. Mm. Ooh, yes. I can see it. Huh. Yeah. 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 Uh, of course, these days, whenever we talk about like a DC project, it's pretty much like, uh, you know, 30, 70 percent, you know, that it's actually going to happen. So <laughs> maybe we never see the Batman, but, you know, at least uh, for now, uh, everything's pointing to Affleck being out. And of course, the longer it waits, the more likely it is that Affleck is out because he's getting older and, you know, he just won't be able to do it eventually. Um, so we'll, we'll see. But it, it does seem pretty confused over there right now. Um, is Henry Cavill in? Is he out? Is, is Ben Affleck in? Is he out? Is there ever going to be a Flash movie? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but you're getting Shazam. So. Right. Yeah. She, you know. Whether you asked for it or not. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, I think the trailers for Shazam look great, but... Um, that's that's the funny thing to me it's like pretty much every other dc project has been like shelved or moved around or whatever shazam is the only one that is like actually hitting its date and i think that's pretty interesting and it's probably because it was it was a character that nobody cared to interfere with and they just let them get on with it which probably means it's going to be fantastic so um (laughs) because less interference is is you know a good thing when it comes to dc property so um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But all right, that was our five-minute controversy for this week. Uh, so uh, right now we're going to pause for a promo from another fine podcast, and then we'll be back to talk about Aquaman. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for the comedy stylings of Hugh for the board Collection. When I was part of the board Collective... My board wife was so fat, when she sat around the collective, uh, she sat around the collective. The Monster Sci-Fi Show is part of the ESO Network. It's sci-fi from a certain point of view.
back. And this week, we're going to talk about Aquaman. Uh, it is a movie that, uh, because we're recording this, um, I think, three weeks after it debuted, uh, we actually know a little bit about how it's doing, and um, it's actually really taking the world by storm. Um, I think it's already crossed the $1 billion mark. If not, it's incredibly close. And uh, it is doing... Uh, better than any of the other DC movies in this uh, modern era, uh, you know, post um, post the um, oh, why can't I remember the name of the <laughs> the ones with Justice Christian League? Bale? <laughs> um, what what what's the name of the director who did Batman Begins and Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises? Uh, Nolan. Yeah, the post Nolan DC movies. Um, you know, Aquaman is doing the best out of all of those now. You know, there's a knee-jerk reaction in me that's, like, disappointed just because I'm like, you know, Wonder Woman was a far better movie, <laughs> you know? So it kind of, like, irks me in some ways that Aquaman's doing better. Um, but at the same time, it's like this, the, I mean, this is by no means, you know, a bad movie, and so I shouldn't really, like, take away from it. But I, I did want to put that in there that I'm, I'm, I don't feel that Aquaman has been the best movie since Nolan, but it is doing the best. Um, so, uh, but it's... Uh, you know, doing very well, which is a good thing for DC, which really needed some more wins in its corner. It couldn't just be like, well, now we're just making Wonder Woman movies from now on. So, <laughs> um, so um, to start off, I mean, I think let's just talk about uh, the casting of some of the main characters here. Um and I'm not really sure. It's funny. A friend of mine uh, mentioned this recently on a Facebook post that she hasn't really seen like a lot of conversation um, around Jason Momoa playing Aquaman. And, and I realized that he's been cast for years and had his first cameo in uh, Batman versus Superman in the role. But thinking back on it, I haven't really heard a lot of chatter about Momoa himself playing the role and not looking traditionally like Aquaman and all of that. So I'm just kind of curious about how everybody feels about um, Momoa uh, playing Aquaman. Um, and so uh, to start things off, uh, Ashley, why don't we start with you? Yeah. So um, I'm not as familiar with the original comic, so um, don't have as much familiarity with how close he may or may not be. But regardless, did hear Buzz that he's a pretty dramatic or at least fairly dramatic departure from what's in the comics so I think that was a good approach to take with it though it kind of makes the character feel fresh and interesting and um, I was familiar with Jason Momoa from his days on Stargate Atlantis so it's kind of cool to see him get his big break and I think he's fun I I don't know what all his range is as an actor um I have a feeling he might not be as have as big of a range as others, but I think for certain type of roles, he's great. And I think this is an example of one of those. I could tell he was having fun playing the role and it was fun to watch him in the movie. All right. And Gary, what about you? Uh, yeah, I kind of agree with that. Um, most people I think went into this expecting, you know, Jason Momoa's Aquaman, you know, the possessive S Aquaman. It's Jason Momoa playing Jason Momoa playing Aquaman as Jason Momoa. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it does, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty accurate. And, and they tailored the script to that to him, which works. Uh, you know, and it's not always a bad thing. I mean, if you look at some actors, that's their whole career. I mean, John Wayne alone. You know, John Wayne playing John Wayne in a movie starring John Wayne. <laughs> uh, you know, so. Uh, 
Yeah, his, his range isn't that great, but the, the bit that he can do, he does really, really well. And he's got charm for days. Uh, you know, there's just something about the guy. You just like him, even with all the reports coming out that he's kind of a jerk um, on set, which I don't know if you've heard any of that. No, I actually haven't heard anything about him being a jerk on set. Uh, apparently, there was a lot of times where um, uh, the lady playing Mira, uh, Amber, Amber Heard, Amber, Amber Heard was like having to hang in the in the rig while they were doing all the CGI underwater stuff. And so she would have a book. And, you know, when they, you know, she'd be, she'd be hanging up there for like 15, 20, 30 minutes at a time while they were getting stuff together. And Momoa basically would come in behind when people weren't looking and rip pages out of the book. Oh, now that yeah. is just being a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> I thought maybe he was doing teasing or something when you said that he was kind of a jerk on set. Oh, man, that's that's you know, it was a it's a quote unquote practical joke. But apparently he did it like multiple times. So. Well, and that's the thing. That's destruction of property. And I mean, you don't do that to a book. <laughs> 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 but also other people who've met him at signings and everything say that the personality on screen is pretty much the personality of him at the signings. Like you go up and he's like, Hey, you know, the, like the bit at the very beginning in the bar where he's the, you know, don't take my picture. You have put a few beers in him. Then he's like, ah, you're my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I, I, I mean, a lot of times when actors play them, you know, play like the same role over and over, it's because that's who they really are. And they're just playing themselves as, you know, <laughs> as the character. So, yeah, I, I can totally see that. All right. Um, Ryan, what about you? Thoughts on uh, on uh, Jason Momoa? Well, I mean, OK, so when he was first cast many, many years ago, my thought was, man, he would have made a great Namor. Um, Interesting, because I thought, I mean, looking at him, he would make a perfect Lobo. Well, yeah, oh, yeah, that too. But yeah. I mean, yes, he'd be great as Lobo. Yeah, yeah. and, and with, the, with the personality that he likes to play, I think his Lobo would be spot on also. He would yeah. look like he walked straight out of the comic book. Yeah, I can see that too. But I mean, I was just, just you know, when I think of uh, of Arthur, I just, I think of the, the typical comic book uh, thing, except for the beard, except for the uh, Peter David run with the beard and the one hand and everything. Well, um, yeah, but Jason Momoa doesn't look much like Namor either. No, he doesn't. But I don't know. I just he, he gave me that vibe more that sort of kind of I don't want to say arrogant, but maybe that is the right word for it. Yeah. The Jason Momoa. I mean, Jay, Namor and Jason Momoa have a lot of similar personality types. If Sue Storm was reading a book, I can see Namor coming up and tearing out the pages because he's going to be the center of attention. You know? uh, I, I, nah, I, I disagree with that, but Namor is my boy. I'm, I'm yeah, not, I know. He's more regal than that, but yeah. he's not petty like that. But having said that, um, in in Justice League and, and watching him, yeah, I agree. His his range is not the greatest. Uh, he's basically gonna play himself, and he's gonna he works well playing off of others. I was a little concerned about him heading a project or his own movie because it, and it doesn't help that it's Aquaman. But I think maybe this is gonna sound sad, but I think because I think casting him and casting him as Aquaman lowered the bar, and so in that way just i it was uh it worked yeah i mean my thoughts on uh momoa are that his typical character that he likes to play is lovable thug you know <laughs> i'm trying to think of a different way of play of saying it but that's really what he is he likes to pay play the strong kind of kind of dim guy you know but 
kind of lovable also you know he's not like uh you know like a, you know he can do angry but it's not like his general disposition it's just like don't mess with me but it's not but usually he's kind of happy and affable as the big strong guy with that being said so the things that he plays he does the don't mess with me kind of stuff really well he plays confused really well <laughs> but like other people have been saying the range isn't really there so in some ways, I think that that did hurt the movie. And when we talk about the movie in general, I'll get into that a little bit more. Um, but because he does have that likableness, and that's the thing you always get out of him, he seems like a really fun guy. you know. And in the movie, it seems like he's having a good time. That helps you as the viewer have a good time. So you know, that's why I think going to see Aquaman is enjoyable is one of the things is having your lead, you know, having a great time in the movie and, you know, getting the audience to follow him on that journey. So, um, I, I think that it worked from that standpoint. Um, and so, yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I think that people aren't going to care so much that, you know, he doesn't look like, you know, the blonde haired, blue eyed Aryan guy. <laughs> you Not know, that Aquaman's always been depicted <laughs> as, um, so, um, well, let's talk about Amber Heard as Mera, uh, then, and, uh, let's go in reverse order. So Ryan, what were your thoughts on, uh, Mera? Fine, I guess. Uh, Amber Heard is, is a good actress. Yeah. Again, it's, it's, when you look at the caliber of the people that casted this and, and you realize that the biggest name they cast is Nicole Kidman. And so you're uh, otherwise, well, Maybe actually, Amber Heard might be a bigger name than her now. I don't really know, but um, it's it's just I really I have no expectations of Amber Heard. I just don't know or follow her well enough. Uh, I think she she played the part. Honestly, I felt like she was holding back. Maybe that was to help Jason shine, or because you know she was just a supporting cast. I do feel like her character was portrayed, written very well, so that she wasn't just the you know the damsel in distress or anything like that. But um, yeah, I mean the casting of Amber Heard was. Fine. <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> well, I think that, that says a lot right there. <laughs> all right. So, uh, Gary, I mean, she what wasn't is... hard on the eyes. Well, no. I mean, yeah, that's that's certainly true. Um, but, <laughs> Gary, what were your thoughts on uh, Amber Heard as Mara? I think she's okay. Um, kind of as a contrast, Momoa looked like he was having fun the whole movie. She looked like she was just kind of, I'm here for my paycheck. Um, I did not think that she was having fun um, and really didn't, to me, didn't really seem to be throwing herself into the role. I mean, it wasn't terrible. I mean, uh, but it cert it felt phoned in to me. Uh, Ashley, what about you? Well, I feel I feel kind of bad for saying it, but I feel like fine and okay are just about the right words. <laughs> I, <laughs> I like the character, and again, um, as was already mentioned, I like that she wasn't just a damsel in distress. She had a story arc. She had things to do, but... I did feel she like had a jellyfish actually, dress. <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was pretty unique. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like the actress maybe wasn't as invested in the role as Jason was for whatever reason. And um, but again, yeah, it wasn't bad, but just kind of middle of the road, I think, is a, is a fair way to put it. Yeah, I mean, here's my impression of Mara is that I never got a good through line for what her motivation was. I mean, other than that, she didn't want war. I got that. She didn't want war. But it was kind of like she was very wishy-washy when she came in. It was like, 
I kind of don't like you, but I don't really feel strongly about that, <laughs> you know, but Volko told me to, so that's why I'm here. And then it's like, but then it switches to, oh, let's make out in the middle of a battle scene. And I was like, I never really felt like there was the transition to get them from A to B. I mean, certainly there was reason for her to gain more respect for him, but I didn't get the oh, now suddenly I'm in love with you thing, you know? And I felt like part of that was just that I don't think that she was really selling it, you know? Uh, I mean, part of that's a script problem also, I think. But um, I think that the transition felt very forced. And so, yeah, I feel like she just kind of, like, moved through the movie. <laughs> but that we didn't really we didn't really connect with, I, I don't feel like she was connecting with the audience very strongly. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, again, she was fine. She just wasn't, like, a standout, you know, uh, part of the movie. And, and like, when Ryan says, when the things you think of besides fine are she was easy on the eyes, that's, you know, <laughs> that's not necessarily the best, you know, from an acting standpoint. Um, okay, so uh, moving on then, um, let's talk about um, Patrick Wilson as Orm. Um, and so, Gary, since we haven't started with you, what were your thoughts on uh, his portrayal? MVP of the movie. Um, I think he did all the plot heavy lifting. I think that he really managed to show off both being the conniving villain, being the, uh, the true king, uh, being the warrior loved by his people. And he kind of has a point. <laughs> You know, the surface world has been dumping trash and pooping in his ocean for how many decades, centuries now? He, he kind of has a, a – a, he's, he's not entirely wrong. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, he was kind of doing it to, to get his – to you know, to get power, but he wasn't exactly – like I said, he wasn't exactly wrong. <laughs> and I think he did – he, I think, did throw himself into the role, and I enjoyed his performance, especially at the end. Uh, when he had the full Ocean Master get up. And I love the fact they made his mask thing emote. <laughs> mm. Oh, the costuming was great in this whole movie. I think that everybody looked fantastic throughout the film. Um, Ashley, what did you think about Orm? So actually, I, I like Patrick Wilson a lot as an actor, but to me, this role felt a little bit too over the top for whatever reason. I kind of wish that they had given him just a little more material to work with. I thought the scene with him at the end with his mother was super interesting. I really liked that. I also yeah. liked that they didn't kill the villain because I thought, oh, here we go, the big fight. He's going to die and be tossed into the sea. So I liked that they went a different way. I wish they would have added just a little more depth to his character because I think that it was there. They could have worked with it, and he's a high enough caliber of actor that he could have handled it. But I wanted just a little bit more from him than we got, but it's entirely possible that he could show up in the sequel and we may get more from him. So we'd be curious to see what happens with that. Um, Ryan, what about you? I, I, I kind of feel like he knew he was playing – a comic book villain, you know, so, <laughs> and he played it that way. Uh, he was, he, he was unapologetically uh, the villain. Uh, he, he wanted, and he played it to an almost two dimensional degree, but in, in a, an enjoyable manner, you know, he wanted the girl, but whatever, she can die. You know, he wanted to take over the world, but he kind of had a, a good reason, which makes sense. It's just his methods that, that were terrible. Um, Honestly, I liked him. I liked him with William Defoe. Any scene they were in together was great. Uh, but otherwise, I don't know. I mean, I'm a 
big fan of Patrick Wilson, uh, like in Fargo, he was phenomenal. Um, but this, it just, it seemed like I just want sometimes for him to like let his hair down. You know, it was always supposed to tight. Oh, there was one other scene. Not only the scene with when he finally met his mother for the second time, or whatever, but the scene where he gave Arthur a chance. He said, "I, you know, I know you won't take it, but walk away." Like that. In that instance, there was a hint of the little boy who wanted to know his who his brother was, or 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 at least give him a chance to live at happiness away in exile. And that that when those bits shone through, the character was not just interesting for being a villain, but interesting for being a person. Well, here's the thing, though, because even though I, I you're not the first person who's brought up that scene to me, the thing is, okay, so he exiles Arthur out of the ocean to the surface world, the surface world he wants to destroy. So it's really not that you know good of an offer. Even on the face of it, <laughs> you he, know, Arthur so- could go live in the mountains. You know, I mean- right? <laughs> well, depending on what kind of weapons they employ, that might not help. But you know, whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I I I actually felt that he was the uh, lesser of the two villains we got in this movie. I like you say, Ryan. I, I felt like he was very two dimensional. You know, he was very much the I'll make a deal with you, but then I'll stab you in the back just to acquire power type. You know, he wanted to destroy the surface world, and even though he paid lip service to the, they're polluting our oceans, you know the real reason is because of the stain of the surface world causing, you know, his mother to have to be killed and everything that she went there instead of living in the oceans and all of that. It's more of a, I'm just trying to get back at the, you know, the people that I imagine hurt me, even though his father's really the one to blame. Um... So, yeah, I mean, I just found him just the typical petty-slash-cruel villain, and I didn't really, uh, I mean, he did that fine, but he was not, you know, I I didn't really feel that he was very interesting uh, from that standpoint. The next one I'd like to talk about is our other villain, which is Black Manta, which... This is my three-year-old self, like, just squeeing with glee and looking at a character that I saw in Super Friends, just, like, suddenly walking into a movie, played live action <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and that's, uh, oh, I hope I don't get this wrong, but uh, I think it's Yahya Abdul-Mateen, um, the second, as uh, Black Manta. Um, so, um... Ashley, we'll start with you again. What did you think of uh, Black Manta? I loved Black Manta. I thought I really enjoyed the performance of the actor. I have not seen him in anything else before, I don't think, but I would definitely watch him in other stuff. I really liked his performance. I thought the look of the character was cool. At first when I heard about it, I was like, I don't know how that's going to translate to the screen, but I thought it worked really well. I wanted to see even more of him than we actually did. Like I was kind of sad that he kind of went away for the end of the film. And I would have liked to see him even more involved in the plot just because it was a really interesting character and was cool to see. But um, yeah, I actually liked him better of the two villains and wished we had seen even more of him. Um, And Ryan, what did you think of Black Manta? Yeah, that's a pretty good description of it. The character, he kind of went downhill for him, for me uh, from the beginning. I, I don't fault the actor for that. It, it's just his most powerful scenes were the ones with his father in the beginning of the submarine. And honestly, we we say that um, that you know Orm was justified. Yes, Orm was just. If I truly believed Orm believed in saving the ocean from pollution, then yeah. But I, again, I think it was all about power for him. But. But this guy, he wanted revenge, 
because he was yes he was a pirate but he wasn't wrong that uh that aquaman that arthur brought that on himself that uh he could have prevented that from happening had he been the hero in that moment so i i think in that sense there's a, a pretty strong morality uh play there that that you wouldn't really expect from an aquaman movie yeah i i the other thing that i really like about it is that they decided instead of giving us two full-on villains this movie that they're gonna set up the secondary villain as a primary villain for a future film and so i like that yeah black manta wasn't in it a huge amount but you know that they're setting it up i mean with that mid-credit sequence that they had also you know that he's going to come back so i i like that i think that this was all just laying some seeds and groundwork for him coming back in a big way in the next movie um but gary what were your thoughts on black manta <sighs> Uh, easily one of the best uh, comic book villains done in a while. I, like you, I've been a fan of Black Manta for ages, like since Super Friends. Uh, there's just something cool about his look, and I loved how they did his costume. I, I want the figure. <laughs> <laughs> it's a character I never thought in a million years they would do, or if they did him, they would redesign him. Because I'm sure that Hollywood types would be like, oh, that looks dorky. People aren't going to think that it's, you know, uh, that it makes sense or whatever. And I'm so glad they went for comics accurate. Yeah, and they made him look badass. Yeah. And he's also got one of the best motivations out of a comic book villain that we've seen. The whole, you know, you killed my father when you could have saved him. I mean, this guy has a personal stake in hating Aquaman. It's not just the whole, oh, I'm the bad guy or I'm trying to get rich and you're stopping me. It's the, you killed my dad. You're going down. Yeah, and it's better than usually when villains have that as a motivation because usually when a villain hates a hero for something like that, it's a mistake, right? It's something where they think the hero did something that they didn't do or something like that. In that instance, Aquaman could have easily saved his father and he chose not to. So while it's not the same as straight up murdering the man, he effectively murdered him by, you know, by, not, by failing to act. And, um,. Yeah. So, yeah. And I love the whole bit of the history with his grandfather, and this is where the, the Manta name comes from, and the knife. I mean, it was like, oh, yeah, they, they set him up really well. He's solid. Yeah, I mean, he had um, a great intensity to him, I felt, and... Um, you know, I, again, I mean, they didn't, they didn't give him as much screen time. I think he wasn't served as well by the script as... Orm was, but I felt like the actor did everything that he could with what he had. And that fight sequence um, mm. in Sicily. Yeah. In a lot of other movies, that Sicily fight scene would have been the climax of the movie. Yes. And it's like, this fight is so crazy off the wall, and I'm just loving every minute of it. And it's like the middle of the movie fight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's still more movie. <laughs> so, yeah, I uh, I really enjoy it. I loved everything about him, and I cannot wait to see him again, because I'm positive that that's their plan for Aquaman 2, is to bring him back. <laughs> I just want to say that again. I am just so glad that we seem to be over the we have to kill off the bad guys thing in superhero movies, that we're letting the bad guys live so they can come back. I'm, I mean, because, I mean, that was always one of my biggest complaints about superhero movies for ages. It's like, and we killed the bad guy, but, well, but now well, we can't come back. It's either one way or the other. Or on the other hand, you're Fox with the X-Men films, which is like Magneto must be the villain of every movie. And it's like, stop <laughs> it. They've got other villains. Develop yeah. them. You know, it doesn't have to be Magneto every time. <laughs> so, yeah. 
there's a lot of other characters that are kind of secondary characters, and so I'm just going to open the floor now to uh, discuss them. Uh, so, um, Ryan, uh, are, would you like to talk about any of uh, the secondary characters? Oh my god, the secondary characters were the best in this movie. Um, <laughs> I mean, I already mentioned William Defoe, which, again, I would watch in you know just about anything, but uh, I don't think you can really talk about an Aquaman movie at all without talking about Dolph Lundgren. I mean, it, you know, it was just, it was Dolph Lundgren. This movie, it felt like, well, that just gets into the movie as a whole, but the, the casting of him, I thought was perfect um, for uh, Nereus. And again, I guess just another sense of a, a, an underrated actor who was cast, not, not Dolph in this movie was, um, oh gosh, I'm blinking his name, but the guy who played Arthur's father, um, the lighthouse, uh, Oh, I'm gonna go look that up. But it's he, um, the uh, name is uh, Tamura Morrison, I believe. That's yeah. Last well, seen as a clone soldier. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You know, but uh, yeah, again, same thing. He added uh, when he would, would just walk every time they showed him walking out to the, on the pier on the dock at sunrise. My heart broke a little bit. Oh and, yeah, that was so good because it's like yeah, that's you know he's been pining for her. For however old, you know, Arthur is pretty much. I mean, you know, she, he was like a year or two old when she left. So, yeah. yeah so th- that, it's funny how, like I said, the secondary cat characters in this movie were such good actors. The primaries were Jason Momoa and Amber Heard. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> The one thing I'm going to say about Willem Dafoe, and he is good, is that the problem is every time he's telling Arthur things like, you need to be king or whatever, in the back of my head I'm hearing, so you can help me defeat Spider-Man. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I kept expecting him to turn on Arthur. Yes. I kept expecting okay. him to, you know, to do a villain turn, and he never did. I know! Especially I thought... because in the comics they've done that. He's flip-flopped back and forth. <laughs> a bunch of times <laughs> i was I, I was waiting for that too because like when they when they when they got them in the boat you know when they were in the undersea like uh ship or whatever and he and they were like oh nobody knows about this place and then they come come and attack i'm like oh crap volko sold him out but that never went anywhere so yeah the sequel yeah <laughs> well, I, I had no idea william defoe was in the movie until like three days before i saw it and i had no idea dolph was in it until i was like Wait, that's Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he was fantastic. I thought. Yeah, you know, it's a small role, but he was he he dug his teeth into it nicely. Yeah, I had forgotten that. I I know that I'd seen it at some point when he was when Willem Dafoe was cast, but I had forgotten because it, you know there had been no buzz about him. You know, and so then I'm watching the movie, like, oh yeah, he's in this movie. <laughs> um, but. Uh, so, Ashley, um, any of the secondary characters that you want to mention? I feel like you guys have hit on a lot of the highlights, and I would agree with all of those. Um, I also really liked Aquaman's father. I thought that was a nice little arc. And, again, with him just, like, going down to the dock, like, every day, just kind of, like, tugged at the heartstrings. So, um, like you guys said, I thought they these secondary characters added a lot to the movie, and I feel like without them, I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much as I ended up doing. Mm. That's fair. Um, and Gary, uh, what about you? Um, yeah, that's. Uh, I think we've pretty much 
hit all the nails on the head. Um, I, I did love the fact that William Defoe is the only one that cheated for the underwater hair because he kept his hair pulled back the entire time. It's right. <laughs> the flowy CGI hair, which looked great, by the way. Mm-hmm. But he was like, no, I'm not putting up with this. Just put my hair back. Right. I, I realized it had to be CGI, but while I was watching it, I was like, that's very convincing that they're underwater. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I did not, it did not seem like weird or Uncanny Valley-ish. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, I've, it, it, it's a movie that had it, I, part of the reason this movie works as well as it does is this really good, really solid supporting cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah. like we were saying, Amber Head's kind of there, but really doesn't do much. And Jason Momoa doesn't have a lot of you know range. So everybody else picks up the weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you guys I mean, feel he, about Nicole Kidman as uh, Atlanta? She was awesome, and I expected her to die. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, that's the thing. I, that's what I expected too. And so again, I mean, it was kind of it's kind of interesting because this is a movie, and I think that this might actually be like a directed counterpoint to the sort of Snyder, um, you know, darkness. Um, is that this was like a movie that was like happy endings all around. Like even the dad got a happy ending because she came back to him, you know. So it's like, it's 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 definitely a movie that you leave the theater feeling good rather than feeling like, man, that was dark, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. So. I just realized we also left out one of the other MVP supporting roles. Julie Andrews is Cthulhu. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to mention her if nobody else did. Um, uh, we, we only hear a few lines from him, but because I think he's amazing, I wanted to bring out also that John Rhys Davies plays the Brine King. Oh. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. No. And, he was uh, fun. He, is a, he, is, he has that amazing voice that makes him such a great voice actor in anything he does. So, um, yeah, I, I like that. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I like Nicole Kidman. Um, I thought that she did a good job uh, with Atlanta, too. And so I wanted to make sure that that, that was mentioned as well, um, that she um, did a really good job with that. And, uh, yeah, I thought she would just be in the beginning of the movie and was kind of surprised when she showed up again. And it was like, hey, you have kept your figure amazingly well. <laughs> <laughs> still fitting in the same clothes that are in like perfect shape after being there for 15 years and everything <laughs> they're Atlantean clothes they're made to last right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so um all right uh before we talk about like plot and all that i wanted to mention the effects um this movie and this and see this is a funny thing i'm usually the person saying effects don't matter um, you know, like story and, and character is what matters. Um, this movie was visually stunning. I mean, it, it is such a big deal that even I have to sit up and say, this was really well done. I didn't feel like anything looked fake. And usually with CGI stuff, I'm the one going like, oh, I don't like the way it looks. I want practical effects and everything else. Everything looked fantastic. Um, and you can tell that the director was very happy with the CGI because like we have that battle scene where we pan around and see everything <laughs> that's happening in the battle. Um, you know, and, and, and I feel that that hurt it in that case, just because I feel like we disconnected from the characters for a little while and I didn't feel like that was a good move. Um, but otherwise I think that visually, um, everything about this movie was stunning and, uh, thoughts on that. Um, Ashley? 
Yeah, I would say for the most part, I agree. There were a couple instances where maybe the CGI took me out just a little bit. But overall, when you consider like the scope of this movie, how much is happening underwater, and you have to basically create this whole world from scratch, I thought they did a really nice job. There were some really, um, like you said, stunning visual instances. I really liked when they were going through kind of like the dark area and you saw all the glowing plants under the water and just the way they handled the hair and people moving under. So I think there are a lot of ways that this movie could have just been like a CGI mess, but they did a really good job, I think, creating this world. And um, I definitely want to see see this world again. And uh, what about you, Gary? Uh, yeah, the effects were amazing. Everything, like we said earlier, from the, just the hair to the vistas of Atlantis and the Seven Kingdoms and what they all looked like. The fact that there was always kind of stuff moving around, fish swimming around the background, and it didn't distract. I mean, it really captured the beauty of under, under the ocean. I think, you know, like... Um, the only thing I can even think of is closer to the Finding Nemo movies, where we get a lot of underwater scapes. Uh, and it, this is one of the few times where I would say, if you're going to see it on the big screen, splurge for the 3D. The, because of that depth, it, to, to use a word, <laughs> it really does pay off. I mean, it's gorgeous. Well, the thing is, it's not just one thing. Oh, we're in the ocean. There's like separate kingdoms involved and they all have their own yeah. character and they all have their own, you know, a lot of the, the, the people there look different because they're, you know, they've evolved into different like kinds of life form kind of thing. So, I mean, there's a lot going on there visually. I mean, even the and even the two groups that are both human looking, one rides on seahorses and the other rides on sharks. You know, and I loved that. I love those writing sharks. Yes. I thought that was really cool. And it also says a little something about the character of those two kingdoms. And so I liked that as well. So, and, and, and yeah, Atlantis, I mean, it was basically Asgard, um, but, but different. I mean, I say that because it's the closest thing I can compare it to visually, but I'm not saying they just copied Asgard, but you know, it was beautiful in the same way Asgard is beautiful. Uh, and, and Ryan, what about you? Yeah. I, I mean, when you ever, you do a, a movie like this, the, the special effects are practically a character in and of themselves. Right. And it just seems like, Someone with Warner Brothers had the the forethought to go, hey, everything we've done prior to now, let's not do that with these <laughs> with this one. You know, it's it's like they went all, even even Justice League with with um uh, uh Joss Whedon's revisions was still kind of if not dark then just very palette color color palette simple and this was like no you can put every color and there are a few that don't even exist you know and i mean uh i've never watched any of the fast and furious movies but having watched this i i kind of am curious how james wan did um the one one or two or however many that he did because it seems to me what really bothers me when there are heavy special effects movies and i'm thinking primarily of michael bay here is the special effects, they tend to want to do them with the whole handheld shaky cam effect, and mm -hmm. you just lose it. I, I just, I, my eyes gloss over it, and I just, I can't really tell what's going on so much anymore. Here, they, he had the, the just wherewithal to keep it steady to, you could follow, even though it was all special effects, and you didn't, you weren't even 100% sure what 
that creature was, you were able to follow the action. You were able to see what was going on. Um, and so that that's a testament to, to the director, to James Wan. Yeah, and even though, like I say, he panned around that entire battle scene, at least it was fluid movement. I mean, you got to, you knew where, you know, it wasn't like you were like, whoa, what am I seeing here? What am I seeing there? You, like, panned around and then zoomed in on certain aspects. It wasn't like shaky cam, jump cut. You know, I don't have no idea what's going on it. here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, you could follow it. I also want to give a little bit of a shout out to the musical score on this movie. Um, and the reason that I'm going to do that is that, you know, a, a lot of it was like very standard fantasy music kind of fair. Uh, you know, a lot of epic sort of music and whatnot. There were certain sequences that I felt like I was watching Tron. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> and, you know, with with this music that sounded like it was, you know, Daft Punk doing Tron Legacy. And I was just like, that is amazing. I feel like I'm in a video game and I love it. You know, <laughs> so... <laughs> That's pretty much the best part of Tron Legacy is the music. So. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I can't hate that movie because I grew up watching Tron and therefore anything with Tron in it makes me happy. Um, oh, I enjoyed it. I'm just saying the music was the best part. Yes, yes, no. That's, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just I don't know if you guys like noticed that there were certain like musical things that felt like it was like like 80s 90s video game music and i was just like this is amazing i don't know why they made this choice because you know <laughs> i don't get where the crossover is but i loved listening to it um but uh let's talk about the movie itself um so i mean what what were uh your overall thoughts about the film um Ryan, let's start with you. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, I came out of it thinking, hey, that was a decent flick. I mean, admittedly, I did go in just because the DC has trained me well with uh, low expectations. <laughs> and um, so maybe that helped. I don't know. I, I went in. We went in a group of five of us. And this kind of surprised me, especially with reading all the buzz and, and every everyone talking about it on Facebook. Five of us went in. And I came out liking it the most. Everyone else hated it or just didn't really care for it. And one of these is a, a, a staunch DC defender. I mean, he will argue with me about uh, um, Batman versus Superman until <laughs> uh, yeah, until the sun comes up. So I don't know. I guess I guess I expected him to be on my side. But oh, this was a pretty good movie. But no, I mean, even he was like, no, no. And I mean, I, I think I knew something was wrong when like. Halfway through the, it was during the uh, when Man Manta was rebuilt, rebuilding his suit, and they were playing that uh, that eighties cover. I can't remember what song it was, but um, okay, that um, was terrible wasn't... choice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but she's like they're doing Rocky montages now. I'm like, what? Are you still watching? And then at one point, uh, like during the final battle, the friend on my right, she was saying, "If they say half breed one more time, you know." <laughs> Are you people watching the same movie as me? I, we argued. We went out to eat after that, and we argued about that for a couple of hours. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think I just saw a different movie with them. It was not. Yeah, it wasn't the best movie out there. But as far as DC movies go, it was yeah probably the second best. Um, I, I kind of hmm. I feel like there's this trend in comic book movies lately uh, with Aquaman and and Venom before this, where they'll make 
a real what would be otherwise a pre-Marvel really good comic book movie. Uh, it, it's, it's like Marvel just raise our expectations, and so anything that's not as good as that just fails by comparison. This movie would have been perfectly fine in 2007, um, and we would have all come out loving it and saying, wow, they did a great job. And so I don't know. I, the character, the casting, we've already talked about that, obviously. Special effects we've talked about. Storyline was ho-hum. Um, but serviceable. It was an origin story, and I think it uh, satisfied all the requirements of a traditional comic book movie. Hit all the points. Spent the first twenty minutes with, before we even saw the main character. You know, um, yeah. I, I just came up. I, I I won't go see it in the theater a second time. But I'm glad I went the first time. See, it's interesting what you said about it being just like a typical pre-Marvel movie, because I feel like the origin story part is what one of the things that they handled really well is in not doing the traditional, okay, let's get everything up to Arthur being an adult in the first part of the movie and then keep going. It was, let's cut with various flashbacks to Arthur learning various skills or whatever while we're going along on the journey. And I felt like that helped with the whole origin movie part of it a lot. Um, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole movie could have easily been young Arthur Curry learns yeah. how to talk to fish. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I, thought, I felt like they learned some things from all the origin movies that have come before. Okay, to, and I'm going to do something now I don't think I've ever done before. Um, I'm going to give credit to Man of Steel for that. Uh, that's how they did it in Man of Steel. They cut in, they spliced Clark coming of age throughout the entire movie. So maybe this is going to be a DC thing. Yeah, and that's and that's fine, I think. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I should give credit where credit is due there. And the thing is, I feel like with this movie, after all the flag DC has gotten, they really wanted a movie that didn't take any risks. So you say that's a pre-Marvel movie, and maybe that is, you know... It's playing it safe. Right, they're playing it safe. And I think that that's probably the, was the right move for them at this point in time. They could not have another Justice League that they pumped a ton of money into, and then it underperformed their expectations. You know, so they needed a win and they got a win. So I, while I'm afraid that they're going to take away the wrong, like, uh, message and think that, you know, it's team movies that are the problem. (laughs) (laughs) And I worry that's going to be the message that they get from that. Um, you know, so we're never going to see any team up, you know, characters anymore. You know, it's good for them that they were able to develop another character to be a success beyond Wonder Woman. And uh, Gary, uh, what are your overall thoughts on the the movie itself? I think it would have better served being, I mean, not that it's doing poorly, but I think it would have been better served maybe by critics if it had come out in summer, because it is very much a popcorn action adventure movie. Um, As I've been telling people, for a movie set at the bottom of the ocean, there's not a lot of depth. (laughs) Wait, you're saying they didn't release it in December for Oscar consideration? (laughs) <laughs> you know, so I think at this time of year, people expect more intense, thoughtful movies. And this is no Arthur Curry punches people in the face and rides Cthulhu into battle. But it's fine. I mean, I enjoy. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy the movie. It's a solid eight out of ten for me. But it the the plot is about as bare bones as you can get. Here's a flashback of growing up. Oh, we need to go over here. Fight scene explosion. Oh, now we need to go over here. Fight scene explosion. You know, it was very much an excuse plot. We have to go here. We need an yeah. excuse to go there. Uh, we so, need the magic weapon. You know, right. the, yeah, as a quest. 
yeah so but on but for what it was trying to do it hit all the marks it wasn't you know it didn't try to be you know we're making underwater lord of the rings although it <laughs> did kind of feel that epic at a few points <laughs> but it knew exactly what it was and it reveled in what it was and so I, i'm not saying it's a flaw as much as it is just it, it's it's not you know the thinking man's you know it's not going to have the uh, you know the deep emotional hit mm-hmm. uh like say uh winter soldier for example and there's nothing wrong with that there is a place for this kind of movie and it it does it very very well and so you know very kudos you know i don't want it to sound like i'm bagging on the movie because i'm not i'm just saying don't i think a lot of people maybe went in expecting something like that and just got popcorn fare of, and more like, well, they expected more. And I'm like, well, what were you expecting? It's Jason Momoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, playing Jason Momoa in a Jason Momoa film. <laughs> right. Yeah, like you said. <laughs> he's gonna ride a shark. He's gonna he's gonna ride a seahorse. He's gonna look awesome doing it. <laughs> hey, we got a we got a octopus playing the drums in this movie. I mean, oh, it doesn't get any better <laughs> than that, really. That, that that made me so happy. <laughs> I mean, that was this movie's guitar flamethrower. Yes. <laughs> I also love the tail of the tape as, right as they were about to start the fight and the half-breed lived on the land. <laughs> you know, the little bit between the two of them. I was like, I want a freeze frame of that so I can read all of it. I actually thought it was a smart move for them to move into December because this particular holiday season... Um, you know, there was there wasn't a Marvel movie, there wasn't a Star Wars. You know, like yeah, we have Into the Spider Verse, but you know that's an animated feature, so you know probably a lot of adults didn't go to see it. You know, kind of thing, and that's probably what they were thinking. You know, I I, th- I think it was surprising that that Into the Spider Verse has been as much of a hit as it was. Um, well, I think that that may actually be a good contrast though, because Into the Spider Verse gets very emotional it gets very deep it gets with those characters some moments where i i almost cried at least twice uh so you know that versus aquaman i think that may be part of it people are expecting that kind of thing because it's a december release and that's we have this expectation you know february movies are garbage summer movies are popcorn action and this time of year is and december time of year is the whole thoughtful oscar bait Hmm. I'm not sure though, because I mean, thinking back, because you know, Marvel's put several different movies in the holiday slate, and you know, something like Thor: The Dark World isn't really a thinking, nor Thor Ragnarok really isn't a thinking man's movie. So I don't really feel like it's that unusual um, to have a popcorn movie now. You know, in the last few years, uh, in this time frame, I, I think yeah, the strategy here was definitely you know getting a, a bigger slice of a smaller pie. Uh, there's just less competition for, for that particular genre. Uh, yeah, you had Into the Spider-Verse and Bumblebee, but I- again, it's the same thing. I mean, studios are dropping these surprisingly good but not stellar mo- genre movies at the end of the year. I think this is just a new phenomenon. We talk about the summer season beginning in March. Well, maybe it's beginning in December now. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't I don't know that that was a bad move on their part. Maybe it was. Um, I, I mean, certainly it's not hurting them. Well, I, again, I'm not saying it's a bad move. I think it may just be may have colored what people's expectations. Yeah, were. I, I see. That's interesting to me because you know because Ryan's not the first one that's told me that he went with a group of people and a lot of them didn't like the movie. Um, and I just find that really surprising um, that it's that divided. Of course, I mean, I just think back to the, I like Justice League and just about nobody else does. So, Because <laughs> 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 um, to me, Aquaman's the third DC movie behind Wonder Woman and Justice League, um, which mm. I preferred both of those. Um, yeah. 
Okay, so Ashley, what about you? What do you think of the movie as a whole? Wow, I say I pretty much agree kind of in line with what everybody else has been saying. I enjoyed it. I went in with pretty low expectations. I was particularly worried after Justice League underperformed. It's like, man, we're following up with Aquaman. You know, is this going to be kind of the final nail in the DC Cinematic Universe coffin? So I think it did exactly what it needed to do. It was fun. It There were parts of it that felt really fresh. Like, hey, I haven't seen this kind of look in a superhero movie before. So I think they did a good job kind of putting that cinematic universe back on track. It was entertaining. Like you guys have mentioned, it wasn't particularly deep. I thought there were some, you know, just a lot of little subplots that kind of took away from the action, didn't fully connect. So that could have been streamlined a little bit more, but it was genuinely a fun movie. And I can't say that there was ever a moment that I was bored. So I felt like I got my money's worth out of it. And based on how well it's doing financially, I think it means that the DC Cinematic Universe is not dead. But um, like you said, it will be interesting to see what lessons they learn from this. I, I hope they take away the right ones that, um, like with Wonder Woman and Aquaman, if you can focus on your characters and have some lighter moments, it doesn't all have, necessarily have to be really brooding and serious. So I will be excited to see what they follow up with this, and hopefully it'll be some more good um character stuff well we know at least that shazam is coming out in april so uh that looks like another very fun movie so uh, you know i think that um as long as that movie does well that they're going to see that people kind of like hopeful fun movies and maybe they should at least have that in their mix <laughs> rather than yeah. all grimdark <laughs> and speaking of that can we actually take a moment to be grateful that this movie was mostly done at when justice league came out because i have a really strong suspicion that if it hadn't been as far along as it was that you know in their tradition of learning the wrong lesson aquaman would have been killed mm -hmm. yeah no i thought I so yeah right. yep just like how justice league 2 is now like permanently on hold and most likely will never get made so uh right. you know but that that's kind of an interesting thought because at some point because you know when it was mostly done that probably just means filming the the principles and so forth, but not the special effects. And the special effects are probably the most expensive element. So after Justice League, someone had to sit down and think, yeah, I'm willing to give, to give you the checkbook. I'm, we're willing to pay for these special effects. We're willing to take that risk on this show, on this movie. Well, if I'm not mistaken, they were actually in production on this when Justice League came out. Yeah, from what I understand, they were like heavy into the filming. So yeah, no, I think they might have even wrapped or were close to wrapping by the time Justice League came out. So yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty much all filmed and in the can by that point. But like Ryan said, then there's all the post production stuff you yeah, know the special effects mm -hmm. the stuff, yeah and the thankfully stuff, yeah. they took the lesson like brian said that they could have easily gone oh this is going to tank so let's just not give them any money for the cgi and this could have come out with some cut rate mm -hmm. bad you know sharknado level cgi <laughs> <laughs> and it still might have been a good movie for an entirely different reason. <laughs> you know? Well, and I'm going to give credit where credit's due here and thank James Wan for fighting for a fun movie because, you know, if you read the statements made by the people who have left the Flash movie, the directors, they've said things like, I wanted to make a fun movie and I guess I can't work with DC. So reading between the lines, you can tell that DC wouldn't let them make a fun movie. So James Wan made a fun movie, so I'm guessing that means he had to fight DC for it, and he won. So, um, you know, good on him for, you know, you know, 
planting his flag there and making sure that they let him make the movie that he wanted to make. As far as my thoughts on the movie, uh, like I said, I think that it's... um. You know, it was it was a non-risk, you know, movie. It, I, I, it wasn't very challenging. Like we've said, it was just a traditional fun quest type movie, and I think that that was fine. I think that's what DC needed. I'm hoping with a sequel that we're going to get a lot more meat in it. But I do think that it is um, potentially a problem because I do worry about Jason Momoa's capabilities to go deep. <laughs> and to display a wide range of emotions so we'll see we'll see how they they make that work i mean certainly the supporting cast in this movie as everyone has said was strong and so that will help um so we'll we'll see how that goes uh, moving forward i mean i think it helps that we have a pretty good um villain with black manta and so you yes. know i i think okay yeah. that reminds me i need someone i'm hoping someone here is a bigger comics nerd than i am because i'm assuming this guy is fairly recent who was the uh, atlantis exists guy who was in the movie twice and then in the post-credit sequence with black manta because i don't remember him from like you know i bailed on the dc universe right about the new 52 so i'm thinking he came in after that and i need someone to tell me who the frick he is i have no idea yeah <laughs> The scientist, I, yeah, I, yeah um, I know who you're talking about. The guy played by Randall Park. Um, yeah. yeah, I, I don't know. I did, I'm not a new. Right, I thought that he I, might I have been someone too. just invented for the movie. I have no idea. No, <laughs> he he's, he is an existing character because I saw a YouTube video uh, that was supposed to explain who he is, but it's by a channel I won't touch with a ten foot pole because they use SJW as an insult. Uh, so I'm not giving them a video click to find out who he is, and I just haven't bothered to look on Wikipedia. <laughs> Uh, according to my, you know, quick Google foo, um, he was in fact introduced in the new Fifty Two reboot. So yeah, Stephen Chin is oh, the okay. character's name. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Does he become like a major villain, or is he just some dude? Uh, I don't have to read Wikipedia for that. <laughs> 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 All right, um, I might do that and send that to Deep Thoughts at yeah. <laughs> at Forty Two Podcast. I am going to say that I think. They never made the case in the movie, and I think that this this is – I feel like the ending was weaker than it should have been because I don't think they ever made the case for why Arthur would make a good king. Yeah, he didn't want war, so he was a better choice than Orm, but that's all we got. You know, they're like, oh, you're from Two Worlds, so of course that makes you a good king. Well, why? Because all the whole movie we spend with him going, I don't want to be king. I'm only going to do this to kick my brother out because he wants war and war is bad. Okay, I'm with you there. I think we got a little bit of it in his speech to Cthulhu at the end when he, he kind of really – that one of the few times he actually emoted something rather than dude bro uh, where he was like, you know, I don't really want to do this, but I feel like I have to. I think I've got to you know live up to my father or the whole – I think there's chant potential for growth if Momoa can do it. But again, we've talked about his range, so – yeah, I think – and again, maybe this is me giving the film too much credit because there were actually quite a bit of uh, – every now and then there would be a subtle jab where I was thinking, was that on purpose? Like when he was talking about, well, can't they just go over the walls? Or um, yeah, <laughs> all, the, all the things about uh, you know racism and so forth. And I thought, are, are they deliberately being uh, – doing this or is it just coincidence? Giving them – credit assuming that they did intend to be a little bit deeper than i'm just than just the surface level if we go under the water if you will into this uh they they do play arthur or they do write arthur as you could almost say he's 
he dumbs himself down on purpose. People expect him to be the dude bro. So Aquaman is the dude bro. But he's also – they've established he knows his history. He knows Roman emperors and philosophers, and he's a lot – brighter than they give him credit right for. that is the one scene where yeah it seems like there might be a little more to him is the scene in sicily where suddenly it's like whoa you know <laughs> he he's able to tell just from a statue who it is uh-huh. you know i mean so that's not just like just knowledge of some history that's like really in-depth knowledge uh to know just from appearance who it's supposed to be to coin a phrase there are some hidden depths well i mean they they also showed he was multilingual. I think they showed he spoke at least like three languages, and not even counting the fact. And I'm going to assume that in Atlantis they speak something other than English, and it was just you know translated for us. So yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe there is a little bit more to his character. Maybe in the next one he'll show up with short hair or no beard or something like that and be. <laughs> no, I think it's more likely he's going to show up with a pike on his hand. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and it also does kind of remind me the the most interesting scene with him in Justice League was the quiet moment when it turned out he was sitting on the lasso yes. and he does the whole yeah. I don't know if I should be here and we also kind of I mean so I think that they are definitely trying to put seeds that he's more than the big dumb jockey puts on yeah um, and I also do kind of want to talk about the fact that they had they mentioned stepping full once and then go <laughs> full speed ahead away from Justice League. <laughs> Justice League what are you talking about? Superman? Who's that? I never know. I, I never was surprised that. there was any mention of Justice League in the movie. Um, I'm surprised that they because everything that I was hearing was that they're going to try to basically soft reboot and pretend that these new movies aren't really connected with what came before. So I was kind of surprised they tied it in. Oh. And you know what? He he pulled the trident from the stone. That's why he's worthy <laughs> to be king. <laughs> that just reminds me of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> 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 Um, another thing that I wanted to bring up that um, I felt made the ending a little weaker than it should have been is that I felt like structurally... The pro- you know, it's a problem when you have the villain fighting the hero on the hero's home turf for the final battle, because the whole idea of usually you want to build things up. So he already fought Orm on Orm's home territory. So to show the progress, it should have been him defeating Orm on his on Orm's own territory rather than bringing him into his. Because I watched that fight and I'm like, well, of course he's going to win because now Orm is out of his element, right? You know, literally. <laughs> He's out of his element. I also like, though, and again, the few bits of character they showed that he he does win by doing the whole thing we saw earlier in the movie with Volko with the spin the trident, make the wall, the, the whatever the hell that thing was. No, it was good in the sense of, yeah, it definitely used the seeds it had planted. And so from that standpoint, you know, they built upon what they had, what they had done. But structurally, it's very unusual for a movie to do that, usually to show the underdog, you know, triumphing. You want to have the underdog, you know, uh, face the same situation he faced before, but this time overcome it. And instead, he he faced Orm in a situation where even before he probably would have defeated Orm because Orm was out of his element and Arthur was fine, you know, being on land. Um, so I, I, I felt like that didn't work so well. I mean, in the end, it didn't matter because the mom shows up. And, you know, so it it wouldn't have mattered, but I felt like just from an action standpoint, that fight didn't really grip me because I'm just going, okay, I mean, (laughs) Arthur's going to win, so there's really no stakes here. I I felt like that was a mistake. It's interesting. I I can see where you're coming from there. I hadn't really thought about that that way. 
I felt, I mean, it's just because in the movie theater, that's how I was feeling. And I was just kind of like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't feel excited where the final battle, I should feel excited, you know, and I, and I was not excited about that. I was more excited about Black Manta. I was more excited when the first fight between Orm and Arthur, um, that was amazing. Um, in the, like the gladiatorial ring. Yeah. Then the other thing that I wanted to bring up, and I was wondering if you guys might have some thoughts about it, because to me, that's this is the the main plot hole in the movie to me, and maybe I just missed something. Orm tells Volko that he knew that he was betraying him, and it seems to me that, okay, if he just found out, how did he just find out? And if he's known all along, why has he let Volko do this all this time? And I, I feel like there must have been a missing scene or something in the movie, because I couldn't... You know, it felt weird to me that that just comes up as a sort of like, guess what? I know you're, you know, betraying me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so did you guys, did you guys have any thoughts on that? Or did, did I miss something in the movie? I, it's, see, again, for me, it was just uh, a matter of, oh, it's a, it's a comic book movie and we got to show a comic book movie pre Marvel, and we just got to show just how evil the evil two-dimensional villain is. Okay. You know, he's going to you know, lock up his own mentor. I mean, doesn't necessarily make sense. Doesn't make you wonder about all the other decisions he's made and how he could have done things differently. Or maybe he's just overconfidence on his part. I, mm. That's what I chalked it up to. As I, if, uh, to, to me, I think it's a matter of Volko was useful to him. And there were things he needed from Volko or needed Volko to do. And at that stage of this plan, he's like, okay, I don't need you anymore. I'm about to kick the butt of this last uh, under Atlantis kingdom and become the ocean master. So you, you need to get out of the way now. Yeah. Oh, and it might also be that uh, he needed to keep Volko around to uh, placate Mara. I mean, if, if before, if before she fled the whole fight, escape uh thing there before he thought she was dead he needed if he had locked volko up that he would have lost her and then he would have lost her father yeah it made sense well but then why when she left and he locked volko up immediately and, and spring it then I, I i just feel like yeah fish people to kill right <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't actually answer that because this while i was watching the movie i thought was a plot hole was the fact that they kept finding Arthur, and they kept again and again. It's like this is how are they doing this? this they're not even going to address this. But no, it was the tracker in mm -hmm. her bracelet, so he actually knew she was still alive. And maybe it's entirely possible that he was bluffing too. Like, oh, I, I knew you were betraying me all along, so that he doesn't look bad. Like, oh wow, I can't believe I've had the person <laughs> who's been going behind my back the whole time. So it could have just been bluff. Well, but then, but then my thing is, how did he find out? That's the thing. I would have liked to have. I would have liked to have seen the scene where he finds out, and that's why I feel like there's like a missing scene in the movie. No, no, no. no. I like the whole. He broke up with Volko. Volko didn't break up with him. <laughs> yes. <it did>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So is there anything else that you want to talk about with the movie that we haven't talked about yet? Um, Ryan. Um, I, we've addressed, you know, Underwater Kaiju. That was pretty cool. Um, the, I, the movie did a lot of world building. I mean, you've got seven kingdoms, seven seas, and, and it – it played in that sense, not just like, like like a like I mentioned earlier, like a quest. It was almost video game ish in its layout, and I think maybe maybe that works for some people and it doesn't work for others. Maybe that's why some people liked it and some didn't. Uh, yeah, there were a few things that like like I don't know how they could suddenly talk underwater. It seemed like in just I just recently saw bits and pieces of Justice League again, and in Justice League when 
Arthur talks to Mera, they have to create an air bubble mm. uh, around themselves so that they can talk. And now we we don't. Maybe that's just one of those things we're just not supposed to think about. Um, They're Atlantean fish people. Of course they can yeah. talk underwater. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, you know, it's like uh, – or like something else that I did – that I almost did take me out of the movie was when they, they were attacked by the Trench Kingdom on the boat in the sea. And it makes me wonder, like, does this happen – all the time. I mean, are they in the Bermuda Triangle? Uh, is that that could explain what that's all about? That whole conspiracy. It just seems odd but, that they just happened to be sailing over that patch of water and happened to be attacked by the very people that they're kind of looking for. They were deliberately looking for that kingdom. I mean, that was the whole point of the going and putting the bottle in the thing. Is you know, this is where the the spear is. So of course they went right over their home. Sure. So is every that. ship is every ship that sails over that spot attacked? I don't know. It just seems yes. Good. I mean, that was just my assumption is that, yeah, like any ship that goes there, those things will attack. And maybe it's a part of the ocean that doesn't, you know, because I mean, shipping lanes being what they are, you know, there's a huge amount of ocean that like doesn't get traveled. You know, boats usually go in direct lines to where they need to go, you know, so uh, maybe it's just like a part of the ocean that doesn't get a lot of traffic. But yeah, I'd assume that any boat that does go there you know uh gets attacked gets attacked okay <laughs> uh fair enough <laughs> they were vague enough about its location that yeah you can just assume it's like a very you know it's a part of the ocean that doesn't get a lot of traffic gary was there anything that you wanted to mention about the movie that we haven't talked about yet uh i think we hit all the high notes um i really enjoyed it uh, i really hope that warner and dc learn the right lessons and not the long, wrong lessons from it i'm looking forward to aquaman 2 and you know, more, I, I need more movies which have Cthuloid fish people in them. <laughs> <laughs> Voiced by Julie Andrews. Yes. Uh, well, and this is cool because, I mean, that's the sort of thing that Marvel does, right? They pull in big names you know, actors to like do all these roles. And it's nice that DC, even though they haven't had the track record that Marvel has, is able to do that. So, um, you know, it'll be, it'll be nice to see like what kind of people they can pull in for future projects. Um, but Ashley, what about you? Was there anything else in the movie that uh, we haven't talked about yet that you wanted to discuss? Yeah, I think we have uh, covered it. Um, I did like the trench scene. I thought it was really interesting visually as they take the flare underwater and you see all oh, yeah. these creatures like diving down with them that was super creepy and interesting and then i just want to interject really quick though it the problem the, my problem with that movie is or that part of the movie is only after we find out the mom survived because he's <laughs> like oh like i made it through and got to this place too and i'm like wait a minute they had flares you know how did you like make it through this like wall of like vicious monsters? She's Nicole Kidman and Queen of Atlantis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, they they barely got through, and they had flares that like repulsed these things. You know, it's like I can't. Yeah. That is a fair a fair point. One of those that you just have to go. Well, that happened. It's part of the plot. <laughs> You know, it, it's like someone else going, I'm Batman. She's, I'm Illigent <laughs> Queen. It, it's like asking how um, Michelle Pfeiffer survived in the quantum realm for as long as she did. It's, you don't want to really overthink it. Yeah, Micronauts. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we can't mention them for contractual reasons, but that's what happened. <laughs> Actually, I'm sorry I interrupted you. <laughs> Oh, no, that's, that's fine. That's about oh, all I okay. have. <laughs> I, I do want to say, Ryan, you brought up the world building, and I think that's the most fantastic part of the movie as well, because where even Wonder Woman in DC, even though they established the Greek gods, they said, oh, but they're all dead now. 
you know, and it seems like they were backing right. away from the mythology of the character. And Aquaman is just like, nope, we're going to go full on Atlantis, full on Atlantis lore. And in fact, we're not going to establish just that Atlantis is at the bottom of the ocean and there are people who breathe water. There's like six and there's like five and a half kingdoms down there too you know and they all have their own culture and they have their own appearance and you know uh all this stuff and it was like the lore and the world building and everything in the movie was so cool and i'm glad that dc is finally casting off these last vestiges of the idea that audiences won't accept the fantasy elements of these characters and we have to we have to mute those as much as possible and just bring in a power set but like ditch anything that's too otherworldly or mythological or stuff like that so i i was very happy with that too yeah. embrace your comic book history that's what yes. makes the marvel movies work well, yeah, and the thing is, and and, and, I, and I know that I've, I've said this before in multiple places and probably on other podcasts and everything else, but they need someone. They need a central voice like Kevin Feige is for Marvel that is wise enough to respect that history while also realizing what are the things that need to be modernized or changed. And right. if they right. can, yeah. if they can thread that needle, if they can, if they can, if they can swim that path, you know, um, you know, they, they, they will, they will, they will be able to meet Marvel and start playing Marvel's game, but they've got to figure that mm -hmm. out. And if they keep on doing this where every movie is its own project, that means you're going to get as many hits as misses because some directors will get it and they'll make those movies and other directors won't. But if you have that central figure like Marvel has, and if you get a good one, then all the movies will be that mm -hmm. way. Yeah. But yeah, you need someone who, who knows where that sweet spot is, where you've got an audience who's willing to go see a movie about a guy who can talk to fish, but at the same time, make that believable in the mm -hmm. real world without going, you know, all Zack Snyder. <laughs> well, the real world kind of sucks, so it's going to be dark. <laughs> and nobody can really love or care about each other. It's going to be like, you know, hey, maybe you shouldn't rescue people, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Protect yourself, the, son. The fish told me to let them die. Frankly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. Zack Snyder's Aquaman would be like, eh, let the fish die. You know, pollution's okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. All right. So, final thoughts on the movie. Um, overall rating. Um, you know, out of ten. Gary, let's start with you. Uh, like I said earlier, a solid eight out of ten. Uh, it, you know, it's got a few flaws but they're all easy to overlook and just enjoy the movie um ashley final thoughts um i'm gonna give it a seven out of ten i enjoyed it a lot more than i was expecting to and like i mentioned before i wasn't bored while watching it and i like just how colorful and bright and vibrant and really big this world was so i thought it turned out a lot better i think than a lot of people expected and i am on board for aquaman 2 i am yeah i mean uh sign me up for aquaman 2 as well it i i would give it like a high six low seven it didn't it wasn't a movie that blew me away where I have to go see it in the theaters a second time or, or anything like that. But it's, it's a movie where I went and I, I had a fun night out uh, watching it with friends, even if they didn't <laughs> enjoy it. Um, I do think 
again, I don't know the numbers breakdown on this. I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't do any research on this particular thought because it just occurred to me. But uh, I know that worldwide it's doing gangbusters, but I don't know how that compares to, to stateside compared to, say, Wonder Woman. So, like, basically, I'm just wondering because I know it was released, I think, in China like two weeks earlier than it was in the US. So, I'm just wondering how much of its success is credited specifically to the world as a whole and not to the u.s well through the miracle of the internet i can yes i can i can look this up (laughs) so right now domestically it's sitting at 266k wait 266k uh, i'm sorry m million no sorry sorry (laughs) 266 million um the the all the foreign together is 697 million and together that's 963 million yeah so I just wonder how that compares to Wonder Woman at this point. Uh, yeah, at this point, I don't know. And I mean, it's got definitely got several more weeks to go. Um, yeah, yeah, there's only three weeks of data right now. So I mean, uh, expect three more weeks of doing significant numbers uh, domestically. You know, we'll we'll see what that final total comes to domestically to compare to Wonder Woman. Well, it's already done enough that if, I, I can't verify this, but I heard another podcast mention that its ticket sales have outdone Wonder Woman. Uh, and so we're pretty much guaranteed Aquaman 2. Well, yeah, I mean, the fact that it's going to break a billion no matter what at this point means that we're going to get an Aquaman 2. I mean, there's no – even if domestic falls off drastically, you know, uh, in the following weeks, um, I, yeah, we're going to get it. They're, they're not going to turn their backs on a billion-dollar movie. Break <laughs> um, <laughs> mine, Momoa. <laughs> yeah, even though they do normally weight their decisions to, towards the domestic market and how the domestic market does, I, I feel like, yeah, that's it's a sure thing at this point. Did you give your rating, Ryan? I'm sorry, I missed it if you did. Yeah, I said like a high six, low seven. Um, all right, so uh, my uh, rating is a 7 out of 10. Um, I enjoyed the world building in this movie, and I thought that was one of the real standout things. Um, the special effects were also amazing. Um, you know, it's difficult filming underwater and doing water stuff, so um, CGI, of course, was the way that they had to go. And, um, you know, and that's also hard to pull off and pull it off realistically, and James Wan did a wonderful job with that. So I've heard that he's angry that... The um, you know, it's not up for an Oscar for special effects, and I would kind of agree with him that, uh, you know, that this is a movie that probably deserved a nod, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because it's it's really impressive. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, I feel like uh, their two leads, though, were, were neither one um, were as strong as I would have liked. Obviously, Momoa is better because he does have that natural charisma. Um, but yeah, when, when Amber Heard is his co-star, um, I just feel like, at least with Mara, she was not um, as strong as she should have been. But thankfully, they had a fantastic a cast around them um, that really helped uh, keep the movie going and uh, make it interesting. So... Um, I'm looking forward to an Aquaman 2 as well. And that brings me to my final question. What would you like to see in an Aquaman 2? Um, so, uh, Ashley, let's start with you. Well, first on my list is uh, Black Manta for sure. I definitely want to see more of that character, see where his journey goes. Um, I would like him to be more than just, you know, the standard, like, mustache twirling bad guy who is just dies in the big battle at the end. I would like to see um, more done with his character and get a really cool arc. I would like to see Aquaman's brother a little bit more, like maybe what his future fate is, you know, how he reacts to Arthur being king now and what his role 
in Atlantis going forward would be. And overall, you know, we got to see a lot of cool creatures in different lands with under the water. I would like to get to know some of those various creatures more, kind of what those uh, cultures are like. But yeah, I feel like there's a lot of room they have to expand with the world they've created here in the first film. And Ryan, what about you? Um, <laughs> I do have to say that that just reminded me of what I thought was probably the stupidest line in the whole movie was, you know, after this final battle and the whole movie where Orm's basically been responsible for the deaths of thousands of people, Arthur's like, when you're ready, let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> it was supposed to show that he still wanted a reconciliation with his brother. But yeah, no, I, 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 I kind of get it. Yeah. Um, so I guess I don't know when 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 we're ready for the sequel. Um, what I expect. Uh, yeah, definitely more Manta. Um, that's a given. But uh, honestly, I, I guess my favorite. I did. I didn't read much Aquaman uh, when I read comics, but I did read a good portion of the of the Peter David run. And I, I kind of want more of that mythological element. I mean, they touched a bit, I guess, on the the founding of Atlantis, but uh, there were elements of like reincarnation and mysticism that just weren't really explored here that I think they can do. Um, and, and, and I want the harpoon hand. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that's likely Peter David also thinks it's likely he made a post about it, but anyway, <laughs> um, Gary, what about you? What do you want to see in Aquaman do? Uh, pretty much the same thing. I want Black Manta to come back with a bigger role. Um, you know, the thing is with Aquaman is he's a great character, but he does not have a very deep rogues gallery. So I can't think of any other villains besides his brother and Black Manta to come back. And I really would like to see – I'd like to see them do something different and maybe have his brother not be a villain. But, you know, go, okay, what was motivating him? His mother is back. How does that change him as a character? And, you know, the whole story of, you know, what does it mean for this guy who's never – lived in Atlantis is now the king and what's he going to do um and you know and my yeah definitely mine those Peter David story arcs because those were great so, wait so you want them to Loki Orm <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe I can, I can live with that Just randomly stabs Arthur for fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Out of oh, love, <laughs> puny ocean master. I'll <laughs> reset me twice this week. Come on. Um. Uh. So yeah, for me, um, the uh, the thing that I most want to see besides Black Myth, yes, I I really want them to develop him further. Is um, I would like them to actually take the argument that Orm had in this movie, which was kind of I, I think just a a pretext of the surface world and make the the surface world the villain, because then you get some actual moral quandary here because that is a real threat. It is a real danger. And Arthur's got to own up to the fact that, yeah, I mean, he's grown up on the surface, but you know, the pollution is, is harming the oceans and what to do about that. And so I think that, I think that bringing it that way, not just Black Manta, but maybe having it be part of an overall 
attempt by either a nation or a group on the surface to attack Atlantis for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and then that might Retaliation. allow yeah, and that might allow Orm to come back and say, "Hey, I was right," <laughs> you know, and cause Arthur problems within Atlantis. <laughs> you know, um, where where he might lose you know control or risk losing control of the nation because they're like, "You told us the surface didn't want to fight us and that things are going to get better," and then you know, look what's happening. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, uh, it, it, you know, if they do something with that, but that's that's sort of what I see as a vision of where they could go from here that would allow them to explore a different side of what they've already established. It could, yeah, it would totally be in, in retaliation for Orm's actions. Yeah, I mean, he was piling all the ocean up on the beaches and stuff. So yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, the... <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, and it could be <laughs> if you want if you want your crossover, your guest appearance, I could totally see uh, Amanda Waller sending mm. people in. To take out oh yeah that would be cool aquaman versus task yeah. force Six. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun because that's the thing i mean suicide yeah. squad had its problems but it understood also that it needed to be fun and so yeah i i would i would love that but yeah we'll see i mean i'm not sure if we're even getting a suicide squad movie they keep telling us we're getting another one but i don't believe it we know we're getting a birds of prey movie with margot right. robbie well so. we're getting birds of prey we're getting joker and harley and suicide squad too on any given day when you ask <laughs> that's the next margot robbie movie so well i mean they've actually started filming oh have they because i didn't hear that they had started filming i just knew that that was like one of the ones they were developing i'll tell you why we'll get a Suicide Squad 2 movie because if James Gunn says he wants to do a Suicide Squad 2 movie DC will say okay it's all the money you want yeah. but all the reports that I'm hearing are it's not going to be tied to the first one so they're like rebooting the Suicide Squad so as long as they keep Margot Robbie as Harley they can reboot whatever they like <laughs> yeah we'll see <laughs> because with all these different projects with her, I'm wondering if it'll even make sense for her to be in all of them. Because it's like, if she's doing Birds of Prey, is well, it ending in a way where she gets captured by the Suicide Squad again? I mean, I don't know. It just look, let let me have my mark. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dream killer. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's time to wrap things up here. Um, so, um, Gary, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you online? Uh, you can find me on the Twitters as at Gary underscore Mitchell. Mitchell with one L. Yes, Star Trek fans, it's my real name. Uh, you can find me as the co-director of the American Sci-Fi Classics track at DragonCon. You can find me as the co-director of the Elleworlds programming at Hulanta in Atlanta. Uh, you can see me as one of the co-hosts of Who's the Doctor Talking Outside the Box, a uh, Doctor Who YouTube video series, a part of the Retro Blasting channel on YouTube, and anywhere that'll let me run my mouth. Okay. I'm glad that we qualify. Yes. <laughs> uh, Ashley, uh, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Sure. Um, you can find me on Twitter at JediAsh1, tweeting mostly about Star Wars. Surprise, surprise. And um, I also blog over at um, the Earth Station One website with movie reviews, previews, and other kind of entertainment news. Um, recently posted my best of 2018 wrap-up and then looking forward to the most anticipated movies of 2019. That post should be coming up in the next week or so. All right. And Ryan... Why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Well, you know, until next time, Internet, uh, you'll never get a goodbye from me. We are together. Um, you can, sure, go ahead and check out my 
poor, sad, neglected website, geekstranger.com. Um, if, yeah, for no other reason, I need an excuse to get an email to say someone checked it out. Uh, mm-hmm. You can uh, visit me on all these other fine people's Facebook pages where I will no doubt be telling them why they're wrong about some subject or the other. Uh, go to Twitter, geekstranger at Twitter. Uh, that won't really get you me, but it will get you to my where I am. So, yeah, I'm out there, Internet, and uh, I expect you to find me. I'm worth it. <laughs> so Ryan, by the way, how, are you look working on any more reviews for your website? <laughs> you know, uh, I really, really, really wish I was, but no, I'm pulling in so much, so many hours at work that I'm coming home exhausted. I, I worked a uh, 13 hour day the other day and 10 hours a day, and I'm just, you know what? I get mm-hmm. home, and yes, yeah, it's TV or write right now, not both. Hmm. Uh, no, I was kind of making a joke because they're still like the two from like two years ago that you oh, still you, haven't posted. You mean like Transformers <laughs> the last night? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Spider-Man like, Homecoming? Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I did think how much I really wanted to write a review of Into the Spider-Verse. You know, so I'll just add that to the list. You know? Yeah, you can you can have a bunch of half-finished reviews on your exactly. website that we're never going to see. It's a oh, work in progress. <laughs> Slow progress. <laughs> you know, geological process. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Ryan, Gary, and Ashley, it was great having you on the podcast today. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. And that's it for our episode this week. We hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, There's a lot of different ways that you can tell us if you did. One is by going to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash 42cast, and leaving a comment. Another way is to tweet to us at at 42cast. You could go to our website, 42cast.com, and leave a comment there. Or you could email us at everything at 42cast.com. You can also leave us reviews on Stitcher Radio or iTunes. And yeah, we're always after feedback, so if you've got something that you want to say, please let us know. And beyond that, uh, there is the ESO Network Patreon. It is something that helps all the different ESO shows. So you can help us out if you've got some money that you can can contribute by going to patreon.com slash ESO Network. Um, and you get access to exclusive episodes of the podcasts and you get, you know, uh, various perks and things based on the level that... Uh, you purchase there so please give that a thought give that a consideration and um yeah uh other than that just waiting to see uh what you know transpires in the world you know when movies will come back again uh when cons will be considered safe uh you know it's just uh hard to tell right now i mean I know with Atlanta Comic Con uh, going, uh, that probably means that Dragon Con is going to go in uh, late August. I won't be attending, and I expect that uh, attendance will be way down, but it's a crazy time that we live in when uh, that is possible. I just don't think that any good can come from having so many people in such a small area while this pandemic is running loose, but, you know, who knows? But yeah, uh, now it's time to say goodbye. <laughs> I almost turned into the Mickey Mouse Club uh, exit. But yeah, now it's time to say goodbye um, and join us back next week when Dr. Aaron will be back. Yes, and as will Mark Edward Edens. Uh, they uh, are coming to the show uh, to talk about a topic that I've been interested in for a while. It's basically the notion of 
you know, at what point does your knowledge of a subject make it difficult to enjoy something, you know, some form of media that gets that subject wrong? And so I'm pretty excited about that one. It was a lot of fun talking with them. We also have Ryan Guthrie on that episode. So, yeah, join us back next week for that. And until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2019 got a question for the ultimate answer contact us at everything at 42 cast.com theme music is sharper swords by Brandon Ellis check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com the 42 cast is a proud member of the ESO network. And now for some outtakes. It's one of those ones where it went longer than I thought it would. I just didn't think there was that much to talk about, you know? Well, yeah, but we all talked about, you know, the different aspects. So, you know, kind of beefs it up a little bit. Ryan, we couldn't kelp ourselves. (laughs) Uh, Tell me your story, Nathan. (laughs) I am still recording, and uh, Dr. Pepper almost coated my monitor, but I was able to, uh, to keep it down. Yeah, there, uh, there were not as many water-related puns as I was expecting there to be. I, I almost <laughs> said it's time to get wet and talk about Aquaman, but I thought that that could be taken, like... I was like, I'm just not going to go there, because I don't know how you're going to take that. So. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> but, <anyway. sighs> um, but uh, yeah, so, you know... Hopefully, I'm going to, like, be releasing episodes on a regular basis now, so this won't be too long. (laughs) Because I've still got, I've still got too many back (laughs) You're floundering around? Yeah, I'm floundering around, (laughs) yep, yep. (laughs) I've been saving baby. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I want to hear a tilapia one. Come on, give it to me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It'll never catch on. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, I guess well, I'm on the hook for it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all here for Nathan, so it's a net gain. <laughs> <laughs> Man, wow. You guys are holding back. <laughs> this has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.